All right, welcome to Just a Book Club, where we talk about books that are just books. They're not literature, they're just books. Yeah, there's nothing valuable in them whatsoever, and we have nothing to talk about for the next half hour or so. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to Just a Book Club. I am Rowan Constantine. And I'm Alex Delbar. And today, we are reading Animorphs 5, The Predator. Brief summary, in perhaps one of the most eventful stories so far, the team try to help Axe, their new Andalite ally, build a transmitter to lure a Yerk ship for capture. When Radio Shack is missing a crucial part for the transmitter, they morph into ants to steal it from their assistant principal controller, Mr. Chapman, nearly being killed by another ant colony in the process. The part retrieved and the transmitter built, the team attempt to steal a Yerk ship only to discover that Visser 3 had caught on to their plan. 3 captures the group and takes them to the Yerk mothership to be presented to his superior, Visser 1. Marco, two days before the anniversary of, of his mother's death, discovers that his mother was not dead, but possessed by Visser 1 itself. The team is rescued by a group of Visser 1 soldiers in an attempt by one to discredit Visser 3. They escape, and Marco's dad decides to try and go back to work after realizing that his wife would not have been happy with how he had lived his life for the past two years. Something that we haven't really talked about for a lot of these are the book covers. You know, so each, each book has the, the narrating figure, in this case Marco, morphing into something. And up to this point, it seems like those morphs have been pretty predictable as like the key primary morph of the story, right? In the last one, it was dolphins, um, as an example. In this one, Marco is depicted morphing into a gorilla. And I wonder about that because there are a lot of key moments in this story. It seems like Marco does very little as a gorilla at the end of the story but he does do a lot at the beginning when he decides to essentially try and you know live out his superhero fantasy by rescuing an older man i believe i can't remember if it's a man or a woman but an older person from being mugged as a gorilla and that's kind of the the main action that he does as a gorilla everything else you know they they morph into their more offensive animal forms uh and immediately get captured and do very little in those forms going forward marco especially it seems like except towards the end you think that the gorilla's on the cover because that first scene where he rescues the old man as a gorilla against three muggers is the most defining moment for him. I think it says a lot about Marco's character. Uh, and we see that throughout the story. Uh, something that I've been wondering a lot about Marco is why he's doing this, right? He's kind of this reluctant, almost cowardly figure. Though, you know, you could argue that it's not cowardly because he's afraid and he's doing it anyway, etc. But he is, he is definitely the most reluctant of the group. And so I've been really wondering 
as to why he was doing any of this. And there's a scene in the book where Marco is thinking about everything that's happened and everything that's going on. And he's thinking about Axe and how, you know, he's doing this for his family, right? He's doing this, or, you know, he, his whole thing is that his only responsibility is to his father and his friends, right? He is there to protect him and his and nothing else. Nothing else matters because he can't risk anything, right? He doesn't want to take too much risk to, to do something good for people that he doesn't know about when it could mean the loss of his life, the destruction of his family even further, etc. But then he starts thinking about Axe and Axe's family out there who have lost him and the pain that that family must be experiencing. And it made me think a lot about something that I was reading about a while ago. There's this guy, uh, John Dewey, who talks about connectedness and this idea that experience is always shared, that you cannot really create a dividing line between where my experience ends and your experience begins. And so all experiences have an effect on each other. If I go to a concert, at what point have I started going to the concert? Is it when I bought the ticket? Is it when I found out about the concert? Is it when I got in the car to drive there? Is it the, the minute I walk in, right? At what point have I started the experience of going to the concert, right? And if, if it's earlier than the moment I walk into the concert, my going to the concert is now affecting every single person that I interact with. And they are now ex being a part of the experience of me going to the concert. And so that experience that I have is shared with everyone. And that feels very similar to what Marco is going through, right? He doesn't want to be selfless. He doesn't want to risk anything for people that are not important to him. But every time he wants to get out, he is reminded of the fact that he cannot separate himself from this conflict right? He is a part of a bigger picture and he can't not think about that, which I think is really interesting. Well, that makes sense because this book in the series is full of different characters rising to the occasion where they previously had not been. This book is full of characters making 180 degree turns. So I suppose like you had just said, yes, Marco rises to the occasion each time throughout the series and does again here. But then also Marco's father yeah, decides to go back to work and start the first important steps to recovery in his depression. Visar 3. Uh, it's not a character change. I mean, he's still doing it. He's still evil. But Visser 3 is the one who rescues them at the end. <laughs> oh, was it 3? I couldn't uh, remember if it was 3 or 1. I might have gotten that confused. I'm just looking at the book again. It is, it is Visser 1. Like, Visser 1 soldiers are the ones who rescue and free the team. Oh, gotcha. 
Yeah. Um, so but that does raise an interesting question, right? Because what, why is this happening, right? Even if it's not Visser Three doing the about face, this is very contrary to what we understand the Yerks to be and do. Yeah. Oh yeah. And even Marco's mom does a one eighty. She comes back from the dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a turning point for a lot of characters in Marco's life. My question would be, what effect does this have on Marco's development? How is his father going back to work and recovering from depression, his mother coming back into his life, this new weird complicated relationship with his mortal enemy, where his mortal enemy saved him from another enemy? What effect is this going to have on Marco as a character? on his development. Yeah, I think one of the interesting trends in the first few books is this kind of perspective enhancing moment, right? Jake fails to rescue his brother and now he has a cause. He has to save his brother. Rachel sees Chapman's fight for Melissa and the way that the Yerks have destroyed the Chapman family and has renewed vigor and has a cause. Mm. Tobias understands that he has to allow himself to be a bird and accept himself as he is. And in so doing, in a sense, though slightly different, finds renewed vigor. We discover Axe which doesn't super change much for Cassie. It seems like Cassie is kind of where she's at and where she's been at. So that, that one's an outlier. But then here, Marco, again, discovers that his mother is at the head of this conflict and seems to be thrust into it with, I'm, I'm assuming, with renewed vigor. <laughs> I assume, it doesn't say it so much here, but I assume that that was not his last mission at this point. That's an excellent point that each character, when they have their book, when they have their turn, gets some purpose. They have, we, we learn what they're fighting for in each book. And it's interesting that saving the whole world, saving the human race, isn't enough. That on its own is either too big of a mission, maybe it seems too impossible, or maybe it still doesn't connect to you personally. But when your mom's life is at stake, or your friend's relationship with her family is at stake, or your Big Brother's agency is at stake. Then it's personal enough to you to then dedicate your life to that mission. Seems like it would be the opposite, right? You think that, well, when the whole human race or the whole planet is in jeopardy, then that's motivation enough. But then I think, okay, well, how motivated am I to fight against climate change? That's something that's affecting the whole world and the whole human race. I don't really do that much 
to fight climate change. But if climate change, for some reason, were going to directly affect my wife, like let's say she had some lung condition and for some reason the changes in the atmosphere were affecting her and she now had, you know, two years to live unless we uh, reverse carbon emissions by this percent, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Creating some crazy scenario for myself here just to prove a point. But yeah, then all of a sudden, climate change would really matter to me. Yeah. Even though it affected me and my wife before, but now something about it is more direct and more personal. Now, okay, now I'm really going to fight climate change. Yeah, and I wonder if if that is an unfortunate consequence of being human. I guess my question is, is this something that we have to reconcile with about ourselves? That we are so selfish? Or is it a bad thing at all? Is it is it good that we are so motivated by our personal connections in this way? I'm, I'm wondering what, if there is one, if, if, I'm wondering if there is a benefit to this kind of selfishness. Because it feels like a, a theme in this story for sure. Not necessarily selfishness, but this connection, right? The fact that we need to be personally connected to people and problems that we are facing before we truly understand their scope is that good or is it something that we have to just kind of accept about ourselves wow i'm gonna go with my gut because my gut immediately tells me that it's one of our superpowers as humans because with the never-ending, infinitely long list of world problems, if the scope of something intrinsically was enough to motivate us to be activist about it, then it would be completely overwhelming, and we would not do anything at all. We'd be incapacitated. But the fact that we fight for a handful of things that are connected to us, that's personal to us. Well, you've got 7 billion people on the planet. So everyone's going to be connected to some different issue, right? And then it becomes each person's personal mission to solve a different problem. Yeah. I think that's the only, that's the only reason things do get done (laughs) is because we have, because we're motivated by whatever, whatever personal connection we have to the issue. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot recently because, you know, I, I know I exist in a, in a position of privilege to say this, but I think for me and for a lot of people who maybe don't realize how privileged they are, both in, you know, more and less advantaged groups, the the large scale issues politically speaking don't seem to have as much effect as what's going on in your community you know you will do 
so much more good. And this is reiterated by pretty much everyone who knows something about the topic. Like, yes, go vote, right? Vote, vote for the president, but also, you know, vote in the primaries and, you know, participate in national politics. Sure. But also, you will do so much more for the people that you know. You will have so much more visible effect on, on the world as you know it if you are actively involved in local government, if you are aware of what your city council is doing, if you are aware of what your state is doing and actively participating in those politics as well. And I think sometimes there's a, there's a really tough kind of balance that we have to strike because it's really easy to get caught up in that mentality and, you know, and say like Marco does, oh, I'm only going to care about me and mine. But it's also really easy to do the opposite, to get so caught up in the big, pitch, in the big picture that you lose sight of what's closest to you. If you spend all your time, right? I live in Utah, and if I spent all my time fighting for, you know, oil spills or against oil spills, I guess, and environmental concerns on this global scale, but never really looked into the inversion and and smog that I see every day from my job and never fought for that, one, I'm going to have much less of an effect because the you know, the, the, the amount that I have to fight against to save the whole world from pollution is too much for me proportionally, right? I'm just fighting against more people and more things at that point if I'm trying to solve the problem globally. And two, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to benefit from that really, because no matter how much I fight for, you know, a global solution to pollution, I am still going to be affected by the smog that covers my home. The great irony of it all, too, <laughs> which plays into, I'm sure, where this story in the Enomorph series is going. Ironically, when you do focus on your small piece of the world in solving and helping things there, it plays into the greater puzzle piece of solving the world's problems. So Marco now has a personal mission to save his mom. But yeah. guess what? His mom is the head honcho bad guy. Or, you know, the head honcho bad guy is using the body of his mom, uh, you know, to control it and, and to, to appear human. And so by saving his mom and by vanquishing whatever is controlling his mom, well, he's also vanquishing the main bad guy. So that's absolutely going to play into saving the world. And to go along with your parallel that you brought up with the problems of smog and air pollution in the huge valleys of Utah, well, if people living in those valleys put all of their brain power together and all their human resource together and all their energy and all their money to solve that pollution problem specifically. Think of all the technology, all the new ideas, all the new systems that are discovered 
all the new social psychology of how people work together, everything that's learned and discovered by one community in the world solving their specific solution problem, and then how that can be used across the whole world, and then ultimately reduce pollution globally. So that's the great irony, right? We can't solve the world's problems, but we can solve our problems in our corner of the world. But by solving the problems in our corner of the world, it helps solve the world's problems. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really appreciate that, you know, Marco is kind of the one to, to demonstrate that. I feel like he really is the champion of this real humanity, because I think that personalness is the human aspect in a lot of ways. You can talk about justice and you can talk about moral correctness. And often I think those things are presented as objective laws, which, you know, maybe somewhere, somehow they are. I don't claim to know everything about the universe. But what ends up being more important, as we've been saying, I guess, it, the thing that makes us human is the ways that we act because of our relationships with one another, because of how we connect to one another. And I think, you know, earlier we've talked about the, the comfort of you're not alone and how comforting that is, right? No matter, no matter how alone you think you are, there are people who stand with you, who love you and care about you. But I think there's a flip side to that that we talk about here. I think the consequence of our connectedness is responsibility. Marco cannot abandon, no matter how hard he tries, when he has finally decided, guess what? I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't afford to. You know, they get turned into lobsters and almost get boiled alive. They get, you know, or I guess they turn into lobsters and almost get boiled alive. They turn into ants and almost get torn apart. And Marco's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't put that on my family. No matter how important it is, no matter how connected I am to this problem, I just, I can't risk it. And when he does, you know, when he finally makes that decision to, in a way, stand up for himself and what he feels is, is right, guess what? Your mom's, your mom's a controller. You're in it. It is personal now. And yeah, I think that's the dark half. Or not dark, but the, I guess, the, the troubling or unfortunate consequence of, of connectedness is that we can't abandon each other. If, if I am to be comforted by the fact that I am not alone, I also have to remember that it is my responsibility to make sure that you are not alone. And how can I have that comfort? How can I preserve my not aloneness? If I never participate and work to help other people know that they are not alone and that they are cared for. I was just listening to, to episode two. When we're recording this, we just, we just dropped episode two uh, this week. But so I was listening to it and thinking about the way that we talk about the way that the second book really dismantles your expectations of the first book that you that were set up. And it seems like Applegate is doing that a lot here. Something that didn't really come up last episode, but I think is relevant here, 
is the fact that, you know, we get a very similar thing with Cassie and empathy, where everyone is so empathetic towards Marco. And then Cassie shows up, you know, to pick him up at his house. And she sees his dad. And she knows everything that's going on. And on the one hand, she's very sympathetic towards Marco and his father. But on the other hand, as a consequence of her, of her empathy and her caring for both of these figures, she also has the thought, you know, death happens. And you kind of have to get over it. You know, you, you have to move on. Death is a natural part of the cycle, and that has to be okay. You can't let it destroy you. And so I think there's an interesting thing here where there are these emotions that we, that we talk about and think about as being purely benevolent. And I don't know if that's the right word, but as being purely soft, right? Empathy, connectedness. These are, these are nice things. Empathy means that you feel nice about other people because you know where they come from. You know how they feel. But empathy also means that you understand when someone needs to step up. When that is what they need to do, both for them and for those around them. You know, connectedness doesn't just mean that you recognize that other people are your friends. It means that you, you are compelled to reach out and care for others. I don't know if there is an emotion that we experience that doesn't come with some sort of weight. It's not easy being an anamorph. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Not be. It's not easy being human. It's not easy living in this world. I think my takeaway for this week would be: it's it's important to recognize where you are and who you're connected to, and what that means. The takeaway is similar. What can you do to help your corner of the world and your puzzle piece of the world and every puzzle piece that you fix and put into place is a part of that bigger world puzzle. If everybody's working on their puzzle piece, eventually we'll, we'll get the puzzle done. It's not your job to do the whole puzzle. Just work no, on not. your corner work on your piece thank you so much for listening to just a book club i was rowan constantine and i'm alex delbar join us next week for book six in the animorph series the capture this episode of just a book club was edited and audio engineered by delbar media the original theme song was written by alex delbar <laughs>